Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now... Well, it is Labor Day weekend, and I know that we are probably all looking forward to a long weekend. My wife and I are excited to have our community group over tomorrow just to celebrate with some grilled food and some fun together. Uh, Many of you, I'm sure, have similar plans with friends and family in your life. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked if right now somebody's got their phone pulled up with their live stream going while they tool around on their boat somewhere nice. All right, I'd actually be pretty surprised by that, but I'm sure they're going to catch the service when they get back to shore, right? Whatever your plans are for this weekend, though, boating, hanging out with friends, or you're using this extra time to get some rest or catch up on housework, I wonder, do you know the history of Labor Day? Labor Day began as a national holiday in 1894 as a means to thank labor workers across our country, to recognize them for 12-hour days, seven days a week, sweating in the mills and the mines and the factories. But the very first Labor Day parade was actually years before that, in 1882, when 10,000 labor workers took unpaid time off to protest their awful working conditions. My guess is there was very little candy handed out at that parade. But another 12 years went by, and the president, Grover Cleveland, signed into law that Labor Day would remain as a nationally recognized holiday, as a means to thank labor workers for their diligence, their perseverance, and their service. But did you know that Labor Day is not the only holiday happening this weekend? In Albania, they have a feast day every year to celebrate another diligent, perseverant, and servant-minded individual. Mother Teresa Day is celebrated every year on September 5th, the anniversary of her death. And the name Mother Teresa rings around the world as a name synonymous with serving and selflessness. Because at 18 years old, she was motivated by her love for God to leave home to go to India, to join a group of nuns where she taught for 17 years. And she was so struck by the poverty around her that after 17 years, she changed from teaching to caring for those in the most destitute of conditions. She's quoted as saying, for love to be real, it must cost, it must hurt, and it must empty us of self. And her example is evident that those words were more than just a powerful statement. They were a reflection of the life that she lived day in and day out. Stories of her selflessness are shared to this day, and she's regularly highlighted as an example of the type of person that you and I would strive to imitate. Because there's something remarkable about a life lived selflessly. Something inspiring about a person who perpetually thinks of other people first. We can all agree there is something compelling and fulfilling about a life marked by service. And that's what we're gonna talk about together this morning. This summer we've been walking through a series called Rhythms of the Soul, examining various spiritual disciplines, practices, considering the ways that these things might bring a steadied pace and a sense of peace to our lives. And so today we're gonna explore the rhythm of service. Not the weekend service, but the act of serving And as we get into this topic, I would love to contend that serving is not merely a rhythm among many that we should seek to establish in our lives. I would argue that it is the spiritual rhythm. I would argue all other spiritual rhythms that we have learned about this summer should be practiced regularly so that the rhythm of service can be developed and then expressed fully in our lives. 
I got to preach a sermon last summer, and I mentioned in that I'm a huge fan of the San Francisco 49ers football team, and they just wrapped up preseason practices and games just last week. And so like the football nerd that I am, I've been listening to all the podcasts and reading all the articles about the stuff that the players are saying, and guess what none of them are saying? None of them want to skip the regular season. They have put in all this time, all this effort, all this training and all this practice, and it would be crazy to them to skip out on the regular season, to never get on the field and play the game. The rhythm of service is our game, so to speak. All that we do as Christ followers to develop spiritually, these habits, these rhythms, these practices that we engage in, they shape us to live a life of service out of devotion to Jesus. Serving is a really popular topic in the Bible as well. It's included over 125 times throughout the New Testament. So in biographies of Jesus and letters to first century churches, as they talk about what it means to be Christ followers, the mark of service sits as one of the highlights for the Christian life. You know, we don't miss out on the serving fun here at Christ Community Church either. We're a church that strives to root our values deep in scripture, so it should not surprise any of us that something mentioned that many times in the Bible would find its way into our mission statement. Here at Christ Community Church, we say we are about making passionate disciples of Jesus Christ who are belonging, growing, serving, and reaching. Serving is clearly a really big deal. But why? Why do we do it? Why do we talk about it here at Christ Community Church? Why is it mentioned so often in scripture? Why do we serve, and what is serving? Those are some of the things that we're gonna ask and hopefully answer together this morning. And to do so, we're gonna open our Bibles, so if you brought one with you, whether it's a hard copy or you have an electronic device, you can open to or scroll to or turn to Mark chapter 10, so we're gonna read together. Mark is one of the four gospels in our Bible. These are biographies of the life of Jesus. And one of the things that I love about the gospels is that each of them kinda of has their own theme. You know, a way that it's kind of shaped. And the Gospel of Mark, I like to call it the verb of the Gospels. Like, verb is what you do. Mark is a super action-oriented Gospel. It's one that has a sense of urgency and mission about it. And so we're going to look together today at Mark chapter 10, and we're going to see the mission that Jesus has for us as followers of him. We'll pick up in verse 35. And it reads like this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? We can, they answered. You will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John, and Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
So we get this interaction between Jesus, James, and John, and even out of full context, it starts off a little odd. And when you add context to it, it actually gets worse. Because just before verse 35, we see Jesus give a third prediction of his death. Jesus makes these predictions all throughout the Gospels so that everyone is clear about the mission that he and his disciples are on. He wants his 12 followers in particular to know that he is here on earth with a very specific purpose and a very important mission, and that his death is one major step in that mission. More on that to come. But coming out of this mission-clarifying prediction, James and John, who actually get the nickname the Sons of Thunder elsewhere in Mark, which is a pretty cool nickname, right? These guys take this opportunity to take this mission and make it about themselves, to see what they can gain from it. Something I was reading in preparation for this message described their request this way. It says, James and John see faithful discipleship to Christ as a means to a selfish end. That's a really bold take. It's also one that's hard to argue with when we read this exchange for ourselves. And as I read that, it produced a question that I had to turn inward on myself. And as uncomfortable as it might be, I'd lay before us as a church family to ponder together today. And the question is this. Am I prone to the same selfishness as James and John when it comes to my faith? You know, we mentioned earlier that so many of the rhythms that we've covered throughout this series together, these practices are meant to grow us spiritually but not only for our own benefits, right? No, these things are meant to shape us, to form us, to be the people that God wants us to be so that we can live that out, so that God would be glorified and so that other people would be blessed by the people that we're becoming. But this temptation is real to make my faith about me, to make the mission about me and then to miss out on the greater mission that Jesus is seeking to accomplish. Have I grown comfortable making my spiritual growth only about me and my gains? It's a light question for us to ponder together this morning. So James and John, they make their request of Jesus. They say, hey, do whatever we ask you to. And Jesus engages them. He invites them to make that request. And I'm not gonna lie to you, friends. If I'm Jesus, I am not nearly as gracious or hospitable in this moment because this is a ridiculous request for these guys to make. I think I speak for all of us when I say, I'm glad I'm not Jesus. Because this gives us a glimpse, y'all, at the type of God that we serve. He's gracious and welcoming and hospitable. And so they make their request. They say, Jesus, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. The sons of thunder swing for the fences on this one. They say, we want positions of greatness right alongside of you, Jesus. We want to have the right and the left-hand seat so that we can share in the glory that you will receive. James and John here are in pursuit of what they can gain. What can we get out of this mission? They are looking for greatness. Jesus responds to their request in a really interesting way. He doesn't immediately scold them or rebuke them. He recognizes these guys have no idea what it is they're asking for. They have a distorted view of reality and Jesus in his grace is about to clarify it for them. And he does so by responding to their request with a question of his own. He says, can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? 
This question, this phrase is a metaphor alluding to this impending suffering that Jesus is about to endure on the cross for all of humanity. And he's asking James and John if they're willing to take on the suffering and the hardship that comes along with this glory, with this greatness that Jesus will experience for himself and that he offers to others. If James and John want greatness, there's a sacrifice needed to get there. This is a concept we talk about here at Christ Community Church during baptisms. We give those who are being baptized a shirt that says, die to live. It's a reference to Romans chapter six where this concept is spelled out a little bit more fully. That when we say yes to Jesus as savior and king, we're committing to dying to ourself to live for Christ. And so by asking this question of James and John, Jesus resituates reality and he lets them know, hey guys, your idea of greatness and how you want to achieve it, it's off base. After this, the other disciples catch up to James and John. They overhear what they're talking about and now they're mad because they think it's unfair. Obviously, I wasn't there. I'm not quite that old. But my guess is the other disciples were not mad at the request itself. I have a hunch they were mad that James and John beat them to it. Like when somebody else calls shotgun before you, you're not mad they got it, you're just salty they beat you to it, right? But Jesus is gracious and he calls this crew together to calm them down and to talk some sense into them. Verse 42 says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus tells them, hey guys, you want greatness? You want that for yourself, but your idea of greatness is all about you. And that's not what I'm about. You see, Jesus, while he's here on earth, is about proclaiming the kingdom of God, and greatness in the kingdom of God looks different. Greatness in the kingdom of God is marked by service. Greatness in the kingdom of God is marked by service. Jesus wants these guys to be great, but by a different means. Jesus, I would contend, wants you and I to be great, great servants. So we set out today to ask and to answer the question, why do we serve? And the very first answer that I would give is, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, I serve to be faithful. I serve to be faithful. Jesus makes it clear in this passage and elsewhere throughout the New Testament that the Christian life should be marked by an eagerness to serve. Now, here at Christ Community Church, when people get baptized, it's their public declaration of their entrance into a relationship with Jesus. And so when we pull them up on stage and we get ready to dunk them, before we do that, we ask them two questions. And these questions revolve around the ideas of, is Jesus your savior and is Jesus your king? And most often, our participants respond with emphatic yeses to these questions. And what they're saying in that moment is that Jesus is now king of my life. He gets to lead me, and he gets to guide me, he gets to direct and call the shots, and I get to respond in joyful obedience to what it is he invites me into. Now, this doesn't mean that obedience comes easily. 
or that we're gonna fully understand or even that we'll initially enjoy every step Jesus calls us into. But it does mean that when I say yes to Jesus as my king, I'm choosing to trust he's a trustworthy king and that Jesus is worthy of my absolute yes. So it's possible the answer to the question, why serve, comes from a song that you might have heard if you grew up in Sunday school, because the Bible tells me so. And as a Christ follower, I find joy in walking obediently to the things that King Jesus invites me into. And so I serve to be faithful. I also serve to experience fulfillment. And this, you could say this is where we switch from merely following what Jesus commands to following the example that he sets by his life when he walks the talk. Now, here at Christ Community Church, we believe that Jesus is the perfect human the only person to ever walk the earth that never sinned, never disobeyed God, never went against God, or chose to separate from God by going his own way. Jesus lives out humanness the way that God originally designed it to be done. Way back in the opening of our Bibles, in the first few chapters of Genesis, we see this creation story where God creates everything. And as a part of that creation, he creates humanity in his image to reflect him and to enjoy him. And the very first humans to ever walk the earth, Adam and Eve, they share this closeness with God. They walk in relationship with him and they flourish as they live out this design of intimacy, obedience, and enjoyment. But because of their decision to sin, when they all of a sudden make a hard left and go to decide to go their own way and break this design that God has for their life, they sin and now all of humanity is separated from God. This design is broken, and so for thousands and thousands of years, humanity has walked their own way. Rather than living in light of God's design for them, humanity has chosen to pursue our own desires, our own pleasures, seek our own wants and desires instead of walking the way that God has designed us to. Jesus shows up on the scene and he displays something new. Jesus comes and he lives according to the design that God has given to the creation that he loves. He tells us, he shows us that a desire and a willingness to serve is part of that beautiful design. Friends, it's no surprise that when someone or something functions the way that it was created to, that things are just better off. And my family and I, we just had the joy of buying our very first home and there was a lot of renovation that came with it before we could get in there. One of the things we had to do was paint everything. Floors, walls, uh, that's a ceiling. Ceilings, walls, floors. And guess what we used to paint our house? It's not a trick question. Paint brushes and rollers, that's what we used to paint our house. But if I had come to you and said, hey, well, we're doing this renovation project and uh, we're gonna paint, and so we went down to the store and we bought four Paw Patrol toothbrushes and we're gonna set out to paint our house with these things, That'd be a really crazy endeavor. If I decide this afternoon I'm really hungry and I could go for some stir fry, so I pull out my upright toaster and I fill it with all the stuff and push the lever down, I've got a huge mess or a house fire on my hands, one of the two. If I decide I'm gonna wear my pajamas to work every day and I'm gonna use my sofa as an office chair, I mean, that'd be ridiculous. Oh, wait. You get it though, right? Everything has a design. Everything has a function, and friends, you and I are no different. 
We were created by a thoughtful designer who fashioned us with purpose, a way to function in his world. So it should not come as a surprise to any of us that when we function in light of that design, we flourish. You know, we see this not only in the ways that we use things every day, but also in the relationships that we experience every day. Right, who would you rather be around? The type of person who is constantly concerned about themselves, looking for ways to progress themselves, make themselves better, get their own greatness no matter the cost to the people around them? Or would you rather be around somebody who always seeks to build others up, seeks to help other people succeed, seeks to help other people flourish? Who would you rather be around? Maybe a better question to ask and answer is, who would you rather be? The answer is obvious, and it's not by accident, friends. When we live the way that God intends for us to live, we flourish. And when we flourish, we find fulfillment. You know, I think one of the things that often keeps us from serving, keeps us from living out the design that God has for our lives is the very same struggle that compelled James and John to make this request of Jesus. These guys were concerned with securing greatness on their own terms. Think about it. What often stops me from serving? What stops me from living out this design? I'm too busy. I have such a long list of things to do and I gotta get them all done so that I feel that sense of accomplishment and completion and fulfillment when it's done. I'm too tired. I've been burning the candle at both ends, chasing this promotion at work so I can get the finances and the status that brings me a sense of security along with it. I'm too distracted because I have to keep up with all the news and all the drama around me so that I'm the people come to for the tea. I'm the one they come to. They want that information, they come to me. Now, don't get me wrong. None of these things in and of themselves are bad, right? Being productive, succeeding in the workplace, keeping up to date on the things going on around you, those are really great things, really great ways to participate in society, and yet when they become the most important thing, I run into trouble. In his book, Crazy Busy, author and pastor Kevin DeYoung asks a simple question to evaluate our busyness, evaluate the distractions that stop us from living out this design. He asks it this way, am I trying to do good or to make myself look good? Like James and John, if I'm honest, I'm often preoccupied with looking good, with obtaining greatness, securing a position for myself. I might be so bold as to contend a lot of us are really busy to that end. And I'd follow it up with a question. How's that working for us? Do we feel rested, secure, fulfilled? The example and the teaching of Jesus comes from this deeply transforming sense that he is free to serve because his greatness is already secure. And that same is true for you and for me. Jesus declares it so in the final statement in this section when he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is our ransom. 
He's purchased us back away from the need to live for ourselves and be crushed under the weight of fulfilling our own desires and chasing our own success. He's purchased us out of that endless pursuit of fulfilling all the things that I want. And now, in Christ, when I surrender my life fully to him, I'm free from the bondage of that life. I'm free to be the person God created me to be and my greatness is secure. And the Gospel of John presents it this way. It says, yet to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. My wife and I, we have two boys at home, Titus and Roman. Titus is our oldest one. And yeah, you can awe to that. They're cute, I get it. <laughs> Titus is our oldest and he is just a genius. This kid's brilliant. He loves learning He's the kind of kid who pulls up Disney Plus and finds a documentary on like snakes or bears or lions just to watch it and like learn from it. And he's got a great imagination. This kid, if we let him, will spend hours in his room playing with Lego and then come bursting into the kitchen to show my wife or I something that he's made, this like ridiculous vehicle or building or creature of some kind. And when he comes in the door, I just wanna be like, dude, I love you. And I tell him often, I love how your brain works. I don't get it, but I love how it works. I love how your imagination works. I love your creativity. I love your tenacity, that you'll build something, and when it doesn't work, you take it apart and you rebuild something. And I want him to know, man, I love those things about him. And sometimes I just look at my son and I say, Titus, I just love you. And I just love you because you're mine. Because I want him to know that if he never came into the kitchen and showed me another Lego again, I still love him. I still love him. And if that's true of us as parents, if we love our kids just because they're ours, why do we go about living our lives as if God's love for us is any different? In a relationship with Christ, your identity, your worth, your purpose, all the things you long for in life is secure. And so in Christ, you are free to live a life of serving others not consumed with yourself, but consumed by a desire to serve King Jesus and those he puts around you, in Christ, you're free to be great. As a Christ follower, I serve to be faithful, to experience fulfillment, and I serve to produce fruit. You know we were gonna keep the alliteration going there, right? I serve to produce fruit, What is fruit? Fruit is the effect of the implications of my serving. And there's kind of three types of fruit that I think come to mind when I I talk about this. Uh, First is that my character is changed. When I serve, I become more like Christ, like the person I was created to be. That's the fulfillment piece we were just talking about, right? When I say no to self and yes to the ways of Jesus, I'm becoming more like him. I'm living out a change in my character. That fruit gets produced by a life of service. My act of serving in and of itself is fruit of my relationship with Jesus. I love God, and therefore I love his people. And I have a friend who used to say, if not for the love of God, I'd like pretty much nobody. But he was convinced that because he loves God, an expression of that is the way he chooses to love others. I mentioned at the top of this message that I have the joy of serving in student ministry. I've done that for a few years now, and throughout that time, I've had the honor of serving with a number of volunteer teams people who give hours of their time week in and week out to come and let young people know they're loved, 
And I try to regularly remind these folks, I say to them, hey, when you show up here, you get a chance to show the activity of a loving God in the lives of the students who come through that door. Because your act of serving is a manifestation of your love for God and God's love for that person. The other type of fruit that gets produced when I serve is the reality that other people are blessed. Others benefit from my sacrifice, and that's a good thing. Because when I serve, others are reminded they have value, that they matter. Their problems are solved, their needs are met, their day gets brighter, that's all great stuff. When we show up to serve someone else, when we show the activity of a loving God in their life, we have the chance to participate in someone's eternity changing when they come to realize that it's not just us that loves them, there's a God that loves them too. So why serve? I serve to be faithful to King Jesus, to walk in joyful obedience to the things he instructs me in. I serve to experience fulfillment, to flourish by living out the design by fulfilling that design that God has for my life. And I serve to produce fruit, to become like Jesus, to bless the people that he puts around me so that they would come to know him too. With all this talk of serving, it's worth clarifying that serving is not just about momentary decisions. It's a lifestyle choice. If I'm a Christian, my life should be marked by regular service. And the opposite is true. If I'm a Christian and I look at my life and I don't see serving as a regular guiding rhythm, I should be compelled to make some adjustments. Because you can serve in your community, you can serve in your church, you can serve in everyday life. I would argue you should do all three. Small gestures like holding the door for somebody who enters behind you is a simple way to let them know, I'm not too busy or too important for you. Cleaning up dishes after a meal is a simple way to express gratitude and appreciation while making sure the cook doesn't have to bear the burden of cleaning up. Picking up trash on your walk through the dorm hallways is a simple way to let everybody know I'm in favor of a healthy living space for everybody, even if it means I gotta get my hands dirty. You can serve in your community by serving in a soup kitchen, feeding the homeless so that they know they're not forgotten about. You can go through community impact and find a local organization that seeks to find and meet the needs of the marginalized and the disenfranchised in our communities so that they know they have an advocate who will raise a voice on their behalf. You can serve in spaces like Kids World and in student ministry. So the younger generations of our church, of your church, know they're a part of a church family that's for them and that wants them to know and to love Jesus for a lifetime. You can go on Go Team so that people's needs are met around the world and they might be introduced to a relationship with Jesus for the very first time. And locally, you can join us at the Great Day of Serving. October 16th, we expect thousands of people from Christ's community at all five campuses to get out into our community to meet the tangible needs of people, organizations, and missions right here in our own backyard. You can find all sorts of information about these opportunities at ccclife.org slash simply serve. We'd encourage you to check that out and get plugged in today. A civil rights leader and Christ follower, Dr. Martin Luther King said this about serving. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Sometimes I think we assume that we're just not qualified to serve. 
serving is reserved for the super Christian or the really good person. But Jesus says, and Dr. King agrees, that anybody can be great because anyone can serve. And so, how is your life marked by serving? If you answer that question with uncertainty, if you look at your life and say, you know what, this might be a space for me to grow in, I'd encourage you to find a friend who loves you and loves Jesus and seek to grow in that space together. Get out into your community, meet the needs of the people around you, serve in your everyday life, use your gifts and your passions and your talents to participate here and bless this church family with those passions. You know, if Jesus says that the greatest among us is the servant, then when we as a church are about serving, this becomes a great place with great people through whom God accomplishes great things. That's the kind of person I want to be, and that's the kind of person I want to be around. I want to end our time together in a similar fashion to how we started by just giving us a few seconds of silence with the Lord because over the last 10 weeks or so, we've looked at a lot of rhythms, a lot of spiritual habits and disciplines to shape us and form us to be the people God wants us to be, and it can feel really overwhelming if we lump all those together and say, I'm going to start all of them. But I think I speak for all of the pastors who have shared with us this summer when I say our hope, our prayer is that God has highlighted one or two areas in your life that you can prioritize these rhythms. And so I just wanna give you a few seconds right here just to pray, just to ask God, which of these things do you want me to pursue this year, Lord? And after that time of silent prayer, I'll pray to close us. And then after church, after today, I'd love for you to find another person. Maybe it's the same person you're gonna share that serving opportunity with and say, hey, here's what I wanna grow in this year. Here's the rhythm I wanna pursue. And then we can partner together. Encourage one another to lean into the rhythms of grace that shape us to be the people God wants us to be. So take 15 seconds, just you and the Lord, and ask him to lead you, to prompt you. What's that rhythm he wants you to establish this year? God, we do love you, and we want our love for you to be expressed by the way that we live our lives. We want our love not to be kept internally or simply rest in our minds or in our hearts, but to be expressed in our daily lives by the way that we serve those that you put around us. So prompt us, Lord, equip us, guide us to the ways you want us to love you better, to love you more, to bless those that you bring into our lives, and to honor you with each breath that we draw. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.